Hello and uh, welcome to this week's episode of Pod's Own Country. Uh, I'm Chris Byrne, the political editor of the Yorkshire Post. Um, this week, um, the podcast focuses on my interview with Tory election guru Linton Crosby, um, who's travelled north recently um, to launch his political consultancy um, up here. They've got bases in Leeds and Manchester. Um, so I had a bit of a chat with him and some of his colleagues um, about what they're attempting up here and uh, how they're trying to make the most of the levelling up agenda. The interview was a bit different from on all ones. It was recorded in a bit of a noisy Manchester hotel. Um, so just watch out for that on the recording. Also, the people joining him for the, for the call were an intriguing mix of people, um, given uh, that he's so associated with the Tory party. Um, his, his team, uh, his northern team, Includes Anna Rigglesworth, who is a former organiser for Labour. There's Gavin Stoller, who is a former Liberal Democrat councillor. And there was also Sean Anstey, who was the ex Conservative leader of Trafford Council. So a bit of a political coalition he's developed. Um, but before we get onto that interview, um, we just thought that we would talk about uh, some of the, well, the big issue. Um, of the week, which is obviously social care reform. And I'm joined by our Westminster correspondent, Caitlin Doherty. Hi, Caitlin, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Um, could you tell me then a little bit about what's been going on? Because we obviously heard lots last week about rumours of what was going to happen, a bit of unhappiness from Tory MP. So, so what's happened now that the plan is actually out in the open? Yeah, so the Prime Minister has announced a 1.25 percentage point increase um, in national insurance contributions, which is going to go and fund what they are calling the health and social care levy. Uh, for the foreseeable, well, not foreseeable, for the, around the next two years, this money is going to help clear the NHS backlog. Obviously, a lot of people have not come forward for uh, procedures and treatment over the pandemic and now the pandemic is waning slightly we have millions of people across the country who need treatment that may now be quite urgent having waited 18 months to be dealing with it in two years time in october 2023 uh, you'll see a change on your payslip as well as your national insurance contributions your net salary your gross salary you will see uh, the health and social care levy spelled out and at this point it is thought that around this time the money will become become a fund that helps support the social care industry um people who have less than twenty thousand pounds in assets are now being told that they will not pay a penny uh, towards their social care there is a maximum cap of eighty-six thousand pounds that a person can pay in their lifetime for social care once this policy kicks in. And if you have assets of between twenty and a hundred thousand pounds, you will get some support from the government. You won't necessarily get everything paid for, um, but you you will get some form of government help. It, it's received a mixed reaction. Uh, Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday to Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, said that this policy was hammering working people, you know, making people who are younger, working families, maybe people who can't yet afford their own home, pay um, pay to plug the gaps, whereas those who are older and maybe wealthier and maybe get their incomes from different means, you know, rental properties or other forms of assets aren't having 
aren't having to plug the gap in in the same way. There is a vote. We're speaking on Wednesday afternoon. There is a vote on this this afternoon. Um, it's not. It's more symbolic than anything. It, this isn't the vote that's going to turn the plans yeah. into law and you know press the big red button on everything, saying go. But the Prime Minister will be wanting to not see a very big rebellion, if at all, on this. There were rumours earlier in the week that there could be some form of mass Conservative rebellion. Those rumours, the ripples in the pond seem to have died down a little bit. It is thought that there will be some people that vote against it, but it's certainly not enough to overturn his 80 majority on the issue. I think a lot of MPs are concerned that, you know, especially in red wall seats, of which we have a fair number in Yorkshire, a lot of people put their faith in the Conservative Party, perhaps for the first time in 2019, maybe 2017, maybe 2015, over the last half decade. And this isn't necessarily what people were expecting. They did not think that the Conservative Party would be the party of tax rises and conservative MPs want to be able to point to something that they can say this is what this money is doing I spoke to one earlier in the week who agreed wholeheartedly that social care needs reform the social care system is broken as it currently operates but he if he was having to sell the prospect of his constituents having cash out of their pocket paying more in tax he wanted something tangible that he could point to and say this is what your money has improved and at the time being, uh, admittedly, it was before it was before the plans had been unveiled. As far as he was concerned, that hadn't come to fruition just yet. So it will be quite interesting to see a what people say, and then b how they vote in in the Commons tonight. Do Do you think, given that this policy obviously breaks manifesto commitment, and given that there has been sort of a lot of sounding off about some of the detail before it was announced, do you think Boris Johnson will be relatively happy with how it's gone down in reality as you say we were possibly hearing talk of a big conservative rebellion and that seems to be fading away now do you think Downing Street will actually think we've kind of got away with this I think it's one of those issues that will keep rearing its head again and again and again. As I said, today's vote is not non-binding. And, you know, there is still different... Uh, if a vote, if a bill is passed, we, we don't know yet what form this is going to take um, in the Commons. But if it were to come in the form of a bill, if it was going to be... If the reforms are going to be properly legislated, because, of course, we know where the cash is coming from, but we don't necessarily know what schemes or changes that cash is going to fund. There will be plenty of opportunities for MPs to raise their concerns, add amendments, rebel if it gets to that if it gets to that point. I don't think they'll be that worried today. And there is clearly some some dissatisfaction among the Conservative ranks. But there's quite a long time until like I said a moment ago, there's a, there's quite a long time before this becomes anything tangible, although there's not necessarily a long time until we start paying it. The um, changes to national insurance contributions uh, begin next April. So, you know, this could either be something that turns around in a fairly short time period or it could be extending all the way until 2023 and beyond. Thank you very much. Uh, interesting times ahead, I think, uh, with, th- with that issue. I don't think it's one that's going to disappear anytime soon.
Um, yeah, so thanks very much. And um, here is the chat with Linton Crosby, or Sir Linton Crosby, as we should call him. So um, if we could go round and everyone say, say who they are. Linton Crosby. Sean uh, I'm Gavin Stoller. Uh, Anna Rigglesworth. Okay, and well, thanks very much for joining me today. Um, so, could I ask what brings you to Manchester in the north today? Well, we've launched a new business. The CT Group has launched a new business called CT Local North, which is a regionally based business focusing on property infrastructure development and related um, activities. And it's designed to take advantage of the growing interest in that part of the UK that exists beyond London to bring. Um, the skill and experience we have of understanding government and decision makers in London and Westminster with the needs uh, to ensure that all parts of the UK have their voices heard and get access to the best possible advice as to how uh, their ambitions can be fulfilled. Uh, and am I right in thinking that you're um, looking to establish offices in Leeds and Manchester? Yes. Uh, how far along are you with, with that process? Well, we've started the business and Anna's in Leeds. Yeah, that, um, that's probably over to me, isn't it? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so we, we, it was, I was very keen to make sure that we had a presence in Leeds and Manchester. Um, you know, I think when we speak about the North, it is the whole North, and that does also include the North East as well. Um, so that was really keen to me, and we're, we're currently looking at different options and things that are uh, available. I think COVID has shown that flexibility is key and the, the way people work has, has definitely changed. And so rather than uh, focus uh, maybe in an old fashioned way on bricks and mortar, it's now flexibility and the ability to have your laptop open it and close it where you need to be and be within the communities in which you're trying to serve and really get to get to know them. And, and how big's the team going to be, the, the northern team? So at the moment the business has eight um, professionals working in it and we have, I mean, part of being a part of the CT group is that we have access to a whole research team or media team, digital team, so it's a core of eight but with a, with a cascadable um, set of colleagues across, actually across the world. We're working on projects at the moment in the UK, which are deploying the time difference beneficial of working with colleagues in Australia who can run digital campaigns while we're asleep. We pick up the cudgel and, and the baton and pick it up when we wake up. So it's a really exciting um, uh, uh, place for us to be right now. Uh, and can I ask about the type of customer that you're trying to reach out to and how you help them, What's, how does that work in practice? Well, I'll let um, Anna and, and Gavin say a little more, more about what we do, but the type of customer that we have um, is generally someone who's got a potentially complex or more difficult challenge where one simple solution like putting out a press release or talking to a politician is not sufficient to deal with um, the, those challenges that they face. So the sorts of clients can be uh, companies that are in the infrastructure space, they can be property developers, they could be um, family offices that are looking at a particular commercial investment. Um, uh, it could be, um, uh, in, in fact, could be local authorities that want assistance in helping their case be made more effectively uh, advocated uh, in Westminster. It's all of those things. Essentially, anyone who's got a complex problem 
in the planning infrastructure and property space um, that need to do more than put out a press release or hold a town hall meeting to gather the opinion of a few people as to whether they support a project or not. And let's say, for example, I am in that situation, I'm a property developer with an unpopular project I want to get through. How do you make make difference? Not to give away our secrets for free, <laughs> um, but to expand on what Linton has said, you know what we're able to do is connect the dots. So we provide the the overview, the strategic advice, rather than the tactical approaches. So we're not just talking about well, we must do a, a public consultation because uh, it's a tick box exercise. But we're actually looking at ways in which we can give the politicians or whoever it might be, the decision makers, the political cover and getting to the root of their concerns and, and how we can do that is what we uh, thrive on. Um, and we're all, uh, we may all come from different political backgrounds, but we're all um, experienced campaigners. And so we understand what motivates politicians, but we also understand public opinion and helping to shape, uh, shape public opinion and shift it, shift the dial. Um, and so I think that in, broad sense is what we're about. The ways in which we do that, the tactical approaches, obviously we could have a conversation at another uh, point. But, it uh, depends, yeah, it if, depends you're, on the if you're running a DCO process, yeah. the tactics and strategy you'd employ would yeah. be very different to a immediate planning application through to a local plan promotion. So, you know, and, and also, you know, to, to, to the point Linton made before, it depends on who the client is. Often we'll be working at the front line with a, with a, a developer. And in equal measure, we might be working with an investor or a funder who wants to just keep an understanding of the moving parts with their development partner. So it can really range. And c can I ask, I know it's, I appreciate it's very early days. Um, have you got any clients yet in the north? Yes, yeah, the group, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're active. We're active on um, uh, one or two infrastructure projects. We're active on um, a couple of residential projects. So we're, you know, part of, um, part of the driver really for coming uh, into the north at this exact moment is, I think we all agree that the macro policy and political agenda is very much about um, the north and the, and the future of the north and the north's voice being heard loudly in Whitehall and Westminster, but also um, I think that, that there's been a bit of a, a, an outreach to us as a, as a business, um, seeking the sorts of solutions we're providing and maybe a reflection of what's currently on offer in the marketplace being uh, possibly a little stayed, um, lacking that innovative uh, approach and, and, and getting to the number of the issue as to why. And if you're operating in this part of the world, you now have the paradigm, I hate that word, paradigm has changed because there's a, a sort of a, a much broader acceptance of the importance of the world beyond Westminster yeah. and the communities beyond Westminster. Now that's a good thing because um, it means that you have got an environment in which your voice has a better chance of being held, heard if the messages you develop are properly researched, aligned with the interests of your target audience. So it's a great opportunity now to, to launch a business up here. Was that kind of the trigger point? Obviously, levelling up's been a big political buzz, yeah. I was going to say buzzword, but buzz phrase for the last couple of years. Is that agenda well, sort of a trigger look, point the, for this? There's a number of factors. We've always had clients uh, across the UK, but they are increasing. In, in, in the north and, and northwest and, and so forth. But also it's about good people. So um, in the last few months, um, Sean joined us. Um, he's you know, more in the Birmingham part of the world. Um, uh, 
uh, and then we, we identified Anna as someone who has a lot of experience in this space, had worked with uh, Gavin in the past, and you know we do build businesses around good people because ultimately, it's the, in, in the consulting business, it's the calibre of your people. You, you need a methodology that is sound, so doing research, developing a narrative, producing a strategy, uh, building coalitions, all of those things, but you need ultimately good people who can do that. And Anna has had a lot of experience, you know, a decade long experience in the campaign and the influence and uh, property space. And so that was a comfortable, it was a the comfortable decision. Aligned. Yeah, the, the stars aligned. Uh, so, so can I ask for you, with, with the launch of, of the sort of the Northern mm. side of things, in five years' time, what for you would be success? Well, I think a number of, there'd be a number of things. Firstly, a big organisation. Um, not that size alone, Matt, but, but in terms of having people across the north. Um, being in multiple locations, although these days, as Anna said, with remote working, anything's possible very quickly. Um, but also a recognition, you know, sometimes, um, People can say, oh, it's not fair, London gets everything or whatever. Uh, or, you know, the only interest the government seems to have is this group of seats or whatever. But actually, it's in your hands um, as a community or a company. And a recognition that there's a better way of having your voice heard and decisions taking, taken that enable you to achieve your commercial objectives or your community objectives if you're a local authority. And so, for us, it would be these are the people you go to when you want something more than an article in a you know in a local paper and 50 people at a town hall meeting. When you've got a complex issue that really means something to a local community that has the potential to provide jobs or housing uh, or whatever it might be, and these are the people to go to because they deliver. For us, because we've all been campaigners, the one thing you can say about election campaigns is. Everybody knows if you've been successful or not. You know, it's like a big retail sale. On one day, they've either come to you or they haven't. So we're not afraid to be judged. And when we don't, we don't um, go to a client and say, we put out four press releases this month, or here's three newspaper clippings that show we've had an impact. We actually work to achieve results and we're happy to be measured by the results we work to achieve. Just picking up on what you've said about political campaigns and sort of changing people's perspectives on, on things, one big story at the moment, particularly in Yorkshire, is kind of the rear guard, rear guard action that's going on to try and save the eastern leg of HS2. Yeah. How do you perceive how that's gone over the last few years? Because particularly in South Yorkshire, where the line was running through, there's generally been quite a bit of opposition. Yeah. Well, I'll let, uh, I'll let Anna and, and Gavin talk a bit more about the specifics of, of the local situation, but in any campaign, to be effective, you have to answer six questions. What is the result you want? Who will determine that result? What matters to them? Where are they? How do you influence them? And what do you say to them? And, and if you answer those, every campaign, every successful campaign can effectively answer those six questions. So if you're looking at that issue and you're wanting to achieve the outcome, um, that's the approach I'd take in terms of how I would go about it. But in terms of the, 
the local assessment and so forth. Over to Anna. Yeah. So um, I think you're right to highlight it. It's obviously not an issue um, just in the North Bay. As you know, it's, it's a national issue. It's got traction uh, across the country. And I think you know, we're, Manchester is fortunate that they uh, look a lot further along in the process. Um, but that you can never take anything for granted. And, you know, it's not guaranteed. Um, and I think the you know around the spending review there'll be further information coming out integrated rail plan and we'll find out more detail then on what's happening but I think it's clear that they have decided to pause on leads why have they decided to pause on leads maybe because you know maybe their voice hasn't been loud enough yeah maybe the the coalition uh, hasn't been there I worked a few years ago now for um, Manchester and building that that voice for Manchester to ensure that HS2 came here this was back in 2018 we did a, a you know nearly a year-long campaign working directly with the council and working with TFGM and GMCA um, and our whole mission was to create that collective um, and we worked beyond Manchester as well and we brought in um, Leeds and Bradford obviously because Bradford's key to this as well and I'm not sure Leeds has had that. I'm not sure they've pushed that as much um, as they have here. And ultimately as well, um, cost, you know, cuts are going to have to be made. People are worried about the cost of HS2. You often hear the politicians call it the, the big white elephant. Um, and if we don't change the narrative, if we don't carry on talking about the long-term benefits of this. It might cost this much now, but what does that mean long-term? People just get caught up in the now. Yeah. They don't understand the long-term impact that this could have um, on Leeds. I'm, I'm, I'm from Wakefield, um, obviously, so I understand that if Leeds were to get this, that would be uh, hugely beneficial to Wakefield, to, to Bradford, to all the areas around it. Um, so that's kind of my position on it. But we also worked in Sheffield as well, yeah. didn't we? Together, me and Gavin, years ago, so. I mean, we always talk about marshalling your advocates and, and, and optimising your assets and, and uh, speaking with one voice and um, across the piece. It's about, it's about a campaign and yeah. the effectiveness. And that, that point is particularly poignant on HS2 in the Eastern Leg. Because the decision cannot just, or the, the narrative cannot be that the decision for HS2 is just about the Eastern Leg. Yeah. It's, it's a total commitment to the entire project yeah. and delivery of it in full. Um, and so it's a, it's a really important point for the government's main connection because you lose the narrative, you lose the, um, you lose the argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever gone through a home renovation, but as you're going through the home renovation, you know, you don't have hot water for three weeks, there's dust everywhere, and you've got to keep your mind on the ultimate objective, which the new kitchen, the new bathroom, what it's going to be like at the end, and the reason you chose to do it. And it's so often things get waylaid because people focus on, oh God, there's dust everywhere, and the, the water's, they put a hose in the, they put a hole in the bloody pipe again. And one of the things and, we, and one of the... You've got to keep the focus on the end objective. It's about results and the benefits that they bring. One of the things that we would do in that scenario, if we were working with Leeds and the, and the stakeholders across Yorkshire, would be to absolutely and categorically ensure that government and the public who are around uh, across the region 
kept their eye on why we were doing this and what the benefits were and align those benefits at a Whitehall and Westminster level with the agenda of the day there yeah. and align the media and align the stakeholders and the political stakeholders in particular in Yorkshire on what's in it for them at a, at a regional level. And the moment you lose that is the moment you lose the argument. Yeah. There's a saying in defence uh, procurement that you have to keep a project sold and what often happens you know, with big projects, you know, in Australia, for example, there's an acquisition program to build $55 billion worth of submarines. Governments make the case that you need this weapon system, this submarine, this railway system. Then decisions are made about who's going to supply it and so forth, and they stop selling the need for it. You've got to keep it sold, particularly when there's, you know, there's a lot of disruption on the way through, as you know, as with my home, home renovation example, and with the money involved. And people will be saying, oh, this is a lot of money and so forth, but you've got to keep it sold. You've got to remind people why you're doing it, what the benefits will be at the end of the process, and, and therefore help them understand that, in, that it, despite the sort of the disruption now, the uncertainty, the concern now, the ultimate result um, is, is worthwhile, so you've got to keep it sold. Can I ask, you're obviously a very well-connected person with government. Um, we're hearing lots of rumours about HS2, the eastern leg. What, what, what are you hearing? Uh, I'm not that well-connected. <laughs> OK. Are you sure about that? <laughs> OK. <laughs> well, could I ask you another question then? Um, sure. How's, how's levelling up going in the north, do you think? How's the promises of, of the 2019 well, election I think, I, I think actually, are they actually being delivered? Um, I think, I think firstly the government is absolutely determined, and particularly the Prime Minister, is absolutely determined to bring about um, you know, what's been termed levelling up, but really is um, an affirmation that wherever you live in the UK, uh, you should have the opportunity to have um, a good life, access to good infrastructure, the opportunity to have a job. Um, you shouldn't have to go to the big cities or down to London. Um, um, to, to get a better future, you should be able to build a future for yourself and your family, your, your partners, your friends, in the community where you, you choose to reside. And and so, you know, I think it's, you know, you can attach political phrases and slogans to these things, but it's a fundamental principle. Wherever you live in this country, uh, it's only fair that you have uh, access to the services and the opportunities uh, that people in other parts of the country have as well. And the thing I know about um, the Prime Minister is he's absolutely committed to that goal. Now, you've got to take that ambition and turn it into a practical implementation. And that takes time and it takes planning. And, and that's the opportunity for the North in particular. Not to just say, oh, well, they've promised this, but to actually advocate, to get out there and make the case Given this is your ambition, these are things you can do for us. Now, there's been a lot of focus on high-speed rounds, big thing and all of that, but there, are, but, but there are lots of things. If I was in local government, if I was in business in this part of the world, um, I would be making the case for the support I need um, in the context of this ambition. And, and that's what they should be doing, because the, you know, the, the soil's been tilled. Now is the chance for it to be for the, the seed to be sown locally. You can't just expect, oh well, they've promised it, they now have to deliver. Mm. You know, you've got to you've got to get out there and make the case. And, 
I think just expanding on that as well, I think, um, you know, to go back to campaigning as well here, um, for a successful campaign, you need to, the hearts and minds, the emotive, the language, so the emotive reasons why levelling up is important, which is uh, access, fairness, um, everyone has an equal opportunity in life, it doesn't matter if you, you grow up in a council estate in Castleford or whether you grow up in you know, a boarding school, you all should be able to reach your fullest potential in life and levelling up on emotive language, that's what it means, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, and then it is up to, I think personally, it's up to us as Northerners to talk about the benchmarks and what that means in real terms, what that means in funding and control, um, what access do we require um, to ensure that there we can uh, hold this government to account on their uh, emotive reasonings. Uh, and c can I just um, pick up on on what you said a minute ago, which was about the the specific? You know, it shouldn't just be HS two. Can you give me any specific examples of of what you think could be asked for well, no, well, and should be focused you, on. I think you should think about more than what can be asked for um, uh, because it's not just about putting a hand out either um, or, or your hand out for something but if I was a business, a logistics business for example, um, I would be going to the government uh, to make the case for support uh, in a range of ways um, uh, to expand in this part of the world uh, because it aligns with the government's um, objectives and priorities. Remote working has, and, and COVID has shown that logistics is increasingly important, the ability to move parcels and goods and all of those things are critical. So, you know, it's about thinking creatively as a, as a business or a community to um, demonstrate how issues you've got or ideas that you have meet with the government's ambition as well so you get that alignment of interest that's really what i mean it's not about oh what more can you know what more can we get it's also quite important to not view um leveling up as a sort of paternalistic relationship between government and the north yeah. um, because uh, that in itself creates a a very deficient negative view of what we can do here subservient yes yeah and, that's, and so you know, local government leaders across the north should be thinking about um, you know, what are the priorities for their places, what's the evidence base for them, how would an intervention from government uh, act as a catalyst to wider outcomes that are beyond just that initial um, piece of support. And um, the more we start thinking a bit more entrepreneurially, a bit more creatively, um, then I think that the, the greater the outcomes can be. And, and as Linton was saying, you know, businesses across the north, there might be you know, one or two things that they need that are really barriers to them uh, not succeeding. And having a clarity of voice around that, and then saying, well, what do we need to, do to fix that, can, can be an act of that catalyst to, to greater things. And so um, there, there is a bit of a responsibility on uh, key actors across the north to start to put some definition and substance to uh, to, to levelling up and what it means specifically for us and not wait for government to describe what levelling up is going to be exactly. uh, because that's, that's, that wouldn't be helpful. And c can I ask as well about the impact of devolution at the moment? North Yorkshire is heading slightly, slowly and painfully towards um, a, new, a new form of uh, government, new form of local government with a, a potentially a new mayor as well. 
What difference, if any, does devolution make to a local area on its ability to, to deliver these things? I think from, from our perspective, a lot of it comes down to the attitude and approach of the senior politicians and the um, senior officers that, that they surround themselves with. And you know what you've seen in places like Manchester, um, to an extent Leeds with people like Judith Blake, etc., Tom uh, Reardon, is, is where you've got serious, grown-up, considered leadership that doesn't seek to um, uh, score solely score political points or play tribal political games, you see real progress. You only need to look at, I mean, even in even in places like Birmingham with people like Albert Bourne in his first uh, in his in his in his first administration. Um, these are leaders, you know, Richard Lee in Manchester, um, Judith in, in, in Leeds. These are people who have had a, a bit of a vision and, and have, have been steadfast in, in seeking to deliver that. And they'll work with whoever it is, public sector, private sector, cross party, to actually see that vision through. And government responds well to that. Government respects that. It's where you get um, um, brinkmanship and politicking and grandstanding um, where where division and, and ultimately inertia kicks in and um, you know if you want to make a persuasive and cohesive and uh, a collaborative approach to government um, and align it as Linton said with the macro agenda of the day you're always going to be heard having said that you also need to be alive to the fact that um, you need to understand how that system works you need to know how Westminster works how Whitehall works you need to recognise um, who you need to bring with you on that regional um, journey. Who are the powerful voices? Who are the people and the organisations who give you legitimacy, integrity and credibility? I mean, we, we, we've worked on campaigns where um, we've actively advocated in Westminster and Whitehall with, for instance, peers of the realm who have a close affinity with a city or a town or, a, or even a village. Um, in some instances, who can go in and have those conversations because they're the, they're the best advocate for that cause. So it's understanding all of those things in, 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 and, and delivering them for your, for your residents. And, and Chris, North, North Yorkshire is an example um, of the point we were trying to make earlier, which is the debate should not solely be around governance and structure, and it should be focused on outcomes. Like, why are you doing that? Yeah, in the exactly. Um, and uh, in all of these devolution debates, um, it is often the case that they are dominated by the former rather than the latter, which is all, what, what is, what is it, and, and that again isn't helpful. So it's like a constant eye on the prize. Like, why would you be doing this? Why, you know, why is it good for law production? What are the material added value benefits that will be generated as a result of a change? Well, the discussion isn't about the change, it's what's... what's and to UK PLC. Yeah, exactly. Can I ask, moving on to a slightly different topic, a slightly broader topic perhaps, obviously CT Group yourself are particularly well known for um, political campaigning. Mm -hmm. Looking back on the course of your career, is there a particularly satisfying political campaign that you look back on or anything else? Uh, the 20, there's always, my first campaign was in 19... 98 in Australia and the Prime Minister went to the election advocating a new tax, um, a goods and services tax, um, which was, as they would say in yes, Prime Minister, um, very brave, very, <laughs> very courageous. Um, and we won, we won that against the odds. Um, and we won it with less than 50% of the vote. Um, we have a two-party preferred voting system. The other was the 2015 general election here because of um, 
a generally held view that we couldn't win, we wouldn't win. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of armchair critics around sort of giving their opinion of, uh, of things. And as I said at the time, after the election, you know, those who can do, those who can't, commentate. Um, and so winning that one against the odds uh, was pretty rewarding as well. But then I, there are other places, you know, we've been in places like Fiji, where they're grappling with that in a post-coup environment where they're grappling with um, democracy and and ha holding and conducting conducting running a, a peaceful election campaign and getting a clear a clear outcome uh, is it can be pretty satisfying too. Could I just go back to um, the 2015 general election because I was yep. listening actually this morning to the podcast you did with Sajid Javid and Ed Conway oh, yeah. yep. about yep. a year ago. Yep. And he said at the time, he was talking about the 2015 election, he said, you just kept on telling them, say the same message over and over and over again. Was that a fair reflection of, of, of well, what you were telling? Well, the the long-term <laughs> economic plan. Well, uh, uh, there are a number of... Uh, there's much more to, to it than, than that. Discipline's important. In this day and age, you know, we all, we all know, you've got your mobile phone, you've got TV, but there's so many sources of information the whole time. To have an impact on people, your message needs to be consistent and personally relevant. And so it's not about, if, if the message is wrong and you keep repeating it, you'll be digging yourself further <laughs> into the ground. So it's not simply repeating um, a message, but it's certainly true that a relevant message that's clear and coherent, reinforced, will ultimately cut through because people hear so much there's so much static out there you've got to you've got to have to say something with sufficient clarity but it has to be ultimately personally relevant for it to have an impact and yes a lot of people started complaining about oh god he's talking about the long-term economic plan again but it was an important um it was a, an important um, mechanism by which the Conservatives could set themselves apart from uh, Labor um, and the Liberal Democrats for that matter uh, by showing that um, they were focusing on the long term when so many people have a view of politics that's only ever tactical and short term and that there was a plan for the economy. And don't forget this was in the post-2008 um, environment where you still had a high degree of economic uncertainty and people were, wanted to know that there was a plan to turn the country around, to strengthen the economy, to create jobs uh, and to provide opportunities uh, for citizens. So there was a lot more to it than just that simple phrase. It, 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 um, it uh, provided the context in which people's decision making were taking place. It makes me fast forward to the last election because this is not widely known. It certainly would be claimed by Dominic Cummings, but actually there's a lady somewhere in Bradford who in a focus group made the simple um, request, can the government just get Brexit done? And from which, uh, and we were doing the research for the government at the time, or for the Conservative Party, that provided the foundation really? phrase that created the opportunity to get Brexit done. And, and the phrase that everyone knew to yeah. the back teeth yeah, by exactly. December yeah. 2019. Because it was relevant, the yeah. context was right, and it was simple and clear. And if we go back to 2015... That's a world exclusive. It is. Uh, if we go back to 2015, I remember the, the lady in a cardigan 
uh, in uh, a Liberal Democrat seat, funnily enough, um, who said, um, well, I don't like the idea of, you know, well, basically, people were observing that Ed Miliband was weak. And um, the moderator in the focus group said, uh, well, why is that important? Well, imagine if um, Ed Miliband couldn't win, didn't win in his own right, was propped up by uh, Alex Salmon, who's much stronger than he is, you know, they'd be calling the shots and we'd end up paying for it. Uh, and that was the, the source of the, and this was just as one lady making that observation. Now, you never do research to tell you what to think. People who are in politics to use research to tell them what to think should be in politics. But you use research, and we do this with our planning and property um, um, projects, for example. You use research to communicate in a way that achieve, helps you achieve the outcome you want, given you have an outcome that you want. So if you're a politician and there's something that you believe in, Research is the GPS system that helps you navigate to achieve that outcome you want. And so is it a case of that the, the genius of it in a way lies in identifying someone saying something that well, you think in, is going to strike, it's, strike that it's, call? It's, if you can use the words of, the, if, in, in, of others. Of, of others, you know. And, and it's, it's extraordinary. You know, we've all met idiots in the world, but you put people together and there's a high degree of you know, the wisdom of crowds. And, you get these gems in. Um, you get these gems sometimes in focus groups, and if you took a, you know, if you took a, a classic issue in the property space, uh, you know, we don't want building on green space, do we? No, but I'd like my kids to have the chance of a home here locally, so I'm prepared. Um, I'm prepared, prepared to have a bit of a trade-off so they can get the chance of a home in their own, of their own, in our local community, rather than having to go somewhere else. There's all these phrases that you can. If, you, if you're alert to it, and we do so much um, of this sort of work that we understand what is significant and what's personally relevant, you can tap into something. And can I ask you, do you still attend focus groups? Do, do you like to, or are you too, too well, senior for that now? No, no, there's much more, there's much more to research <laughs> yeah. than, uh, than, than just focus groups. There's, there's lots of other things you can do. But no, we always, uh, whatever project we're on, I mean, I'm running our businesses in multiple countries, and we've got 130 or 40 employees. But, but I certainly, um, I'm always, much to the annoyance of our various research teams around the world, every now and again, I'll say to them, can you just send us the group report from the last exercise? We had one uh, a couple of weeks ago in another country, just listening, um, you know, which I just read for Interstate. What the really interesting thing is, you can, culturally there are differences, different parts of the world, but you can be listening to a focus group in Iraq or in Fiji, or in, and, or in Bradford, and the examples may be different, but the, the ambitions are the same. A better life for themselves and their kids, they just want a system that works. You know, the top local issue in the 2015, the top local transport issue in the 2015 general election was potholes. It wasn't some big high fleet thing, it was, you know, I'm sick of my car tyres falling off because wheels falling off because there's holes in the ground. But it's also, it's also worth adding that in the context of infrastructure, land development, planning, which is where the, the locus of a city local north um, stems, it's amazing to us these, from major to minor schemes, when we're talking to clients, we're talking them through the methodology we would apply as it would, as it, as it, as it would work. And it's as if you've just invented you know, uh, uh, split, split the atom, <laughs> you know, and, and in, the in, in the real estate industry, 
there's a tried and tested, tried and tested way, and we're challenging that. We're saying there's a better way. It's not about it's not about engagement for engagement's sake, as Anna said. It's not about a tick box exercise. It's about genuine engagement. How can you activate the young renters who don't feel they have a voice in um, how they get on the housing ladder, or the or people, the or the people who are living with mum and dad and can't get out into a rented property even because the supply and demand curve doesn't meet. So often developers need to recognise and landowners and invest, institutional investors and anyone who's got a stake in this in this wider real estate piece, that, that there is a way of engaging with the, pe the very people who would stand to benefit from you succeeding. And it's not just about, you know, uh, you know why, why is the word property barren? Uh, uh, why is the word barren in that sense used in a, in a pejorative way? You know, what about property enabler, people who, who, who let, get first time buyers on the ladder? But you only can do that by selling, keeping the project sold, and understanding how you engage, whether it be social media, whether it be traditional campaigns by knocking on doors, whether it be having the right message to motivate and engage. That's the alchemy of, of, of CT, I would say. And, and I mean, just putting all that together, and that's, that's why I'm with these guys, and that's why I find it so fascinating. Obviously, my home is labour. That's, that's my home. Um, and so it... Um, I find it exciting and painful at the same time when I hear stories about 2015 and 2019 and, and how those um, that, that narrative was built. You know, I remember 2015, I remember seeing those big billboards with the, the pocket, you know, in, in his yeah. pocket. Um, and I thought at the time, that's fantastic. <laughs> hate it because <laughs> it's going to ruin us but that's fantastic same with 2019 get brexit done oh you know me and my friends and you know we, that phrase killed us but it's fantastic it cuts through and it really gets uh gets to um the issue and really speaks crazy. and it speaks to people in a way that facts figures can't ever speak Chris, to if you employ a pr company whatever question you ask them the answer is pr yeah if you employ a market research company Whatever question you ask them, it's more market research. You, you bring a, a multidiscipline offer with proven experience and deliverable Focus track records. Judge us on the results. We're not lawyers where we equivocate and uh, charge uh, by time. Charge by time. We have a beginning, a middle, and a we end. like lawyers, doesn't it? We yeah. like lawyers. We have comes from us, but we're a different beast. Not that much. Though. And um, and 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 I think we've come to the north in part because there's been a a reach out from, a, as I say, a cross-section of different clients who are saying, we need something different, something more than what's going on at the moment. And that's really exciting for us. Uh, so can I ask then, talk about the, the importance of really simple messages. What is your really simple messages to businesses, potentially local authorities in the North about working with you guys? Well, well, well there's two, two things. Firstly, um, every message must be personal and relevant. Um, and for, a, for a, um, a potential client, personal relevance is we can improve the chances of them having uh, a proposal that they've put getting the thumbs up. With so whoever decision maker. With whomever the decision maker may be. So we influence decision makers. I say that in a constructive way. Not you know, It's not about picking up the phone and speaking to somebody and getting the fix in. It's about running a campaign that takes account of the decision makers, what's personally relevant for the decision maker as well. So if you think about the Prime Minister, he's committed to the levelling up agenda. What's personally relevant to him? Solutions that can help him show that he's 
he's meeting that target that he set for himself. That you can live in the north and have access to good education, good healthcare, good infrastructure, um, the opportunity to build a life and succeed here, not have to put up the second best or go somewhere else. Can I ask you as well um, about your personal politics? Um, where, you know, do you only work with campaigns that you agree with, or how, how would you describe your own politics? Um, my own politics. My own politics. Um, you know, we're a professional advisory company. We only work for clients who we believe in. That that, and I say that in a non-partisan sense because uh -huh. we've worked for various. Um, Candidates or parties all around the world. Some of you know, some would be more aligned with the Labor Party. Some would be more aligned with Conservatives. But but we we work for those you know who's who's who we think are you know candidates to support or parties to support or clients to support. I mean, and we've been approached by all sorts of clients that we've knocked back because there are you know, you've got to have some framework on which you base your decision making. So are we? Are we guns for hire? In one sense, we are, but, but we'll choose um, we'll choose when we discharge the gun. When we discharge the gun, there's an integrity to um, what we do and who we do it for, and it's not it's not a uh, it's not it's not something it's something we're very conscious that we treat with care and attention. I, I guess a, a maybe different way of asking it is what motivates you with your work. I think we all, we're all very results focused, that's the first thing. So we want to we, we want to actually, one of the things that anybody who's been involved in politics and we've come from all different parts of the political spectrum, loyalty is critically important. So when we work for a client, if we get, excuse the analogy, if we get in the trench, we will stay in the trench to the bitter end. Because once you commit to a client, you've got to stand with them. And you know, I've worked on projects where something's come up and other consultants have run away because, oh, well, this is becoming a bit difficult for us or whatever. You, you weigh up carefully who you're working for, what project it may be, um, and then you, you, but you stick with it. So I think more than anything, uh, it's loyalty and a commitment to get results, not find an excuse to send another invoice next month. <laughs> just, on that, just on that point, actually, how long do these, is it, open-ended a lot of these relationships or is it project specific sometimes I know elections are obviously a, a lots time our, limited lots of our clients um, we've had for a long period of time because they they, uh, they they have a positive which is good they have a positive experience and they come back when they have needs again um, but a lot of them are project-based so it's a it's defined um, it's a defined period of time, defined outcome. And you're only, you're only as good as your last result. I mean, to, yeah. to, to the yeah. point about speaking like a liberal democrat. It's about being results focused, right? Long term relationships, being results focused. Um, and I always talk about three things that motivate clients to work with us. Often it's fear, pride, or pain. Um, one of those three is usually evident at any given time. It's the bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, can I just ask as well, um, one of the other things, obviously we talked about simple messaging, yeah. another thing that gets mentioned often in relation to you is identifying wedge issues um, and, and things like that. Uh, would, uh, can you describe your approach to that? Decision makers have to make a choice. 
that decision maker can be a council, that decision maker can be, can be a voter. You have to frame the choice. So, you know, commentators who've got nothing else to do come up with all these theories about things like wedge or whatever it might be. But all you do, what you seek to do is frame the choice, right? You know, is that choice or that choice? And, and you want people to make the choice that you want for your client. So you help, you help frame the choice. To go back to your earlier point, long-term economic plan, Dave Cameron's Prime Minister, George Osborne, steward in the economy, or Ed Miliband um, in the pocket of Alex Salmon. It's a simple choice. Uh, how, how far do you go, though? Because I think there was a Guardian story a couple of years ago about these Facebook pages that appeared to be grassroots pages and then were linked back to the group. One thing I've learnt long ago is uh, not to take too much notice of what's written in the game. <laughs> but w was it true or not? Uh, well, I don't know the story you're referring to, but we operate within the bounds of, you know, acceptable behaviour and the rules. I always will. But with, with social media and things, it, how, how do you guys adapted to that world of Facebook groups uh, and all sorts well, of things? Well, these things. Look, it's all. It's all. Firstly, you know, I saw a poll recently from another company that only only 16% of people think that um, social media is a force for good today. So, you know, social media people are very careful in the way they assess whatever they read or see on social media. Um, and, and you now you've got to operate within the bounds of both effectiveness and responsibility, and we'll always do that. And can I ask about the people around the table here? So am I right in thinking that we've got a, a Tory, Liberal Democrat, and did you say Labour? So was that a deliberate choice to try and build a political coalition well, for, for what you're doing up here, a, or was it a, more a, by accident? Uh, it was a convenient outcome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, to be honest, it's more a convenient outcome. Yeah. We go for good people, and you know, we, we, uh, Gavin's been with us for a couple of three years now, four years, four, almost four, and we'd seen his work, and we may have even come across him as an opponent in one or two projects, and, um, and then uh, Gavin had worked with Anna and recommended her, and, and she was, clearly had a lot of experience. She's a local, understands this part of the world, so it, it's, you know, it's, a nice, it's a nice outcome in a way. Yeah. But, it, but it was, it's all about the people, and you need good people who understand the way we do things um, and who are results-focused. And you always talk about cognitive diversity. So Anna's approach to a campaign will come from her experience and what she's delivered on the, on the stump in a, in a different way to how I would have done it, to how Linton and Sean would have done it. And that's really powerful for a client because sometimes you do need a different... Different way to skin a cat. Not that we skin cats. We don't. <laughs> or put them on the table, dead. <laughs> um, I think I've asked everything that I wanted to ask. Is there anything you guys um, feel we haven't covered or want to underline? No, I think, I think at the opening, I would say just to reiterate what Anna said, which is um, the, the, the epicentre of the North um, it has for a long time been anchored in, in Manchester largely due to the work of Richard Lees and Howard Bernstein. We see the North as a much bigger, broader. more um, broader base. And Leeds really is, the, from our perspective, uh, the coming city. And it's, it's really exciting. It's a really exciting place for us to be doing business and, um, and, and the wider hinterland as well. So I think um, everyone should be encouraged by 
all, all new businesses coming into any any new markets, and we would hope that there certainly the reception we've had to date has been really, yeah, really encouraging. Good, yeah. Just just on that point, actually, that I think that's a really interesting point because I think particularly perhaps the George Osborne influence, um, the sort Ooh, of David Cameron, house. yeah, uh, administration was perhaps more associated with with sort of the Manchester side of things. And it's mm. interesting that Boris Johnson and the Red Wall is perhaps more of a, a Yorkshire northeast well, uh, look, perception. That's partly the perception and that's the tag because of where some of the seats they gained came from. But the truth is it's about it's not that it's not that people are saying forget London, it's not important or anything like that. It's there's a big world out there. It's called the United Kingdom. And every part of it deserves the people who wherever they live deserve the chance uh, to have their ambitions and their potential fulfilled and um, you know on occasion perhaps in the past you know, too much focus has been on one part or another I think the mistake would be to suddenly shift all the focus just to one part of the north mm -hmm. or one part of you know some other part of the United Kingdom this is it. I mean, the identity, the northern identity, is often it's, it's seen as like the north, a collective. It's not that way at all no. in Yorkshire. And it's certain, you know, you could be within West Yorkshire, and the the conversations you might have in Wakefield will be completely different to the conversations just down the road, ten minutes away in Leeds. And the completely accents. Completely different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the accents. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I. I I don't ever want to fall into that trap yeah. of becoming the not. Everything's local. Everything, everything is local. Everything is CT local. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Podzone Country. If you have any topics you think we should be covering or any stories you think that we should be digging into, please get in touch with me over email on caitlin.doherty at jpress.co.uk. I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>